Welcome into a new Buff Stampede Radio. Adam Lester Tiger, the publisher of BuffStampede.com. Catching up with football analyst William Gardner here. Eight days before the season opener, we're recording this on the morning of Thursday, August 25th. William, good to catch up with you. It's been a little bit since we did a podcast together. Uh, anxious to get your thoughts and, and what your emotions are like here leading up to the season opener. Well, it's good to see you. Uh, looks like you guys survived uh, camp, and uh, I, I have, to, have to imagine there's a lot of standing around doing nothing while practice is actually happening, right? Exactly. A lot of driving because we live in Johnstown, so I think last week I logged over 20 hours in the car. So, wow. Uh, but, I mean, at the end of the day, we're covering football. We're not uh, yeah. doing some serious stuff. So it, it's it's – Whenever I complain, I just have to take a step back and, and have the pro- proper perspective in terms of what I'm actually doing day to day. Yeah, you, I'll trade. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, no no complaints, but but definitely looking forward to having some actual football to talk about. Yeah. This Every offseason is long. It's made longer when they don't go to a bowl game. So most offseasons covering CU have been pretty long. And then you put in all the transfer portal drama and the conference oh realignment God. drama. It's really been one of those off seasons that, that's been more fatiguing uh, because we're all into this, whether you're a fan or, or you're doing this for a living because you love the football games and you love that part right. of it. And so that eight month gap it has just been brutal. Yeah. It, 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 you know, four or five, 10 years ago when you could actually get into see practice, it's more fun when you can kind of make your own determinations about players and what have you. Um, you gotta be rough to stand outside. I don't know, chat amongst yourselves and twiddle your thumbs for two hours or do you just well, we get got, there? Yeah, we got in for both of the scrimmages. So that helped a lot. It really did. It even walk-ons that you wouldn't really know about unless you got in. So having pretty good knowledge of the depth from the top to bottom, I think has really been improved by Carl Durrell letting us in. And and that's one of the topics is that yeah, he really has become more media friendly this year. And and that could all go out the window if they struggle and he's getting frustrated early in the season. But he, he's built up some goodwill, I think, just with the way that he's handled the media since really February when he had issues with Brian's personnel question. Ever since that point, you know, he's been really pleasant to deal with, was great out in Los Angeles for Pac-12 Media Day. And each media scrum we've had with him, he's been pretty forthcoming with information. So and that's, I think it's sinking into him that we're not the enemy. We're basically just a conduit to the fans. And we probably would have gotten to this point a lot quicker if it wasn't for COVID. Because in 2020, his first full year on the job, after his intro press conference, we were just faces on a screen for a long period of time. And so I think it's yeah. helped being around him here the last couple of years. Have you, from our coverage, since that he's been a little bit more forthcoming with stuff? Well, it's, it's, it's kind of hard to tell. I mean, I think he's made coaches and players more available, and I think he's be, given better answers to things. Um, you know, at the, at the end of the day, I know coaches don't like to see it this way, but it's an entertainment industry. You know, I mean, it, it's just like shows in Vegas or whatever. You're, you you have to appeal to the people to come. Um, you know, if people stop going to the games, if people stop watching it on TV, the whole thing dries up. So at some point, you really have to uh, – embrace the fact that you you know that the fans are are there for you and that the media is there for the fans and um i think it, it works better now you know it's like you now people say well yeah you know uh what's his face in alabama he doesn't he's he's not nice with the pre- well you know you win national championships it's like uh uh tom landry with the dallas cowboys right you win super bowls you can stand there and and not talk to anybody but uh otherwise you got to go a little bit out to, to, uh, reach people. And I think he's, I think they're doing a better job. I, I feel like it's all the way around, um, that there's more access to coaches and players and what have you, and more coming out this year. Yeah. Did you have any takeaways from preseason camp things that stood out to you? Well, I think we're, I think we're a much better coached team. I feel like we're more technically sound and I don't know that people understand how much difference that makes, 
Um, you know, uh, if you're playing the game right, you know, these guys don't come into college knowing how to play the game. They come out of high school with every kind of level of coaching there is, you know, maybe you go to one of those big schools in Dallas and you get good coaching, but most of them probably don't get very good coaching. You have to teach them how to play the game. And I don't care how talented you are. If you don't learn how to play it right, you're not going to do very well out there. So I think it appears to be a much better coach team. It appears to be a much more cohesive team. Um, you know, that they seem to like each other better. I think, I think people work harder and, and get more out of what they do when they enjoy being together, uh, more technically sound. I think, I think, you know, to the extent that we can tell, it seems to me that there are much better schemes on both sides of the ball. Um, you know, both, both the offense and the defense are going to do things fairly significantly differently this year that I think, I hope, uh, at least my gut feelings so far are going to be better than last year and it better suit the players that we have. And then um, this is probably going to sound ironic, but it feels like we have fewer injuries, knock on wood, I'll say it. Um, and uh, that the that Foreman's program is really kicking in. And, and I don't know, the ones that the, in, the injuries, for the most part, people that are missing are new guys who haven't been in his program for a while, uh, feels like to me. So uh, we feel, feels like we're bigger. Um, and I know there's all this talk about being a young team. We're certainly young in the secondary, but in many other places around the team, we seem to be a fairly veteran, a pretty big, good-sized team. Yeah. I'm curious your take on this. Is this a, a good or a bad sign? So in the first scrimmage, the ground game was pretty dominant. In the second scrimmage, in the red zone and goal line competitions, the defense was dominant against the run. You hear coaches talk all the time about you want to give and take. Uh, do you think the fact that each unit on this team seems to have stretches where it looks really good, but other times where it doesn't look very good, kind of the, the lack of consistency, is that okay? Yeah, I think it's fine. I don't think you can really take anything from it, though, from a team playing against itself. But I think it's better to have it go back and forth than have one side dominate. Um, I think there were indications early last year that there were problems with the offense um, and we're not necessarily necessarily seeing it this year. Um, so I, I don't know if there's a whole lot you can take from it. We felt really good about the depth of the front seven. How much of a hit do you think Janaz Jordan being booted off the team for violation of team rules affects that? Because I, I think we would probably have slated him in as their fourth best defense alignment. Yeah, I think he, I, I, I really kind of consider him a co-starter almost. I mean, I clearly had him a lot higher rated than you and Brian, but I, I felt like uh, for the last two years, he's given us lots of good plays. And, you know, look, here's the bottom line. He's a fifth-year senior, 320-pound defensive tackle who moves pretty good. Those are not easy to find. Show me how many we got on our team, you know, and uh, you, you, just, it's, you just can't afford to lose a guy like that and not have it impact you. Um even if he wasn't uh, going to be a starter. I mean, I think the fact that he's on the, that he was not a starter talks to the quality of the guys who were ahead of him. But I think in most years in the last 10, he would have easily been one of the starters. Um, and so that, that takes a big body off the, off the uh, sideline that could spell guys and keep guys fresh. I, I think it's a big loss, but you know, that's yeah. part of the game. I, I, you know, people, I see people say, well, you know, it could have been the same if it was a, if it was an injury, you know, it just feels differently. This is self-inflicted, yeah. you know, I mean, I don't know what he did. Don't have any idea, but he did it. And, you know, if you go out there and you're playing the game and you get hurt, that's the way it goes off the field stuff makes me crazy. Brian, Brian, Howell had just done a story on how he had lost know. weight and, you know, was, I, I, it sounds like he got his degree at least. So at least he didn't leave Boulder empty handed. But I think Justin Jackson needs to be a guy that steps up for them on that defensive line. We've heard that the light bulb kind of turned on for him this offseason because you're I think you're fine putting in, you know, a Tyus Martin here and there right. and a Ryan Williams here and there. But I think you really want Terrence Lang, Justin Jackson, Chance Main, Jalen Sami and Liam Rodman to kind of be your core guys there. Right. Well, and, and you know, the other thing about it is we only have three really big power five size defensive t tackle guys on this team right now. Um, and that's Rodman and, and Sammy and, and uh, Martin. 
And they got to get more of those guys. I mean, you know, you look at the good teams and they've got those big war daddies up front on defense. So we don't have a lot of them. We just lost one of them. And I think that, you know, that that's that's an issue that needs to be addressed in recruiting that we start need to start getting more really big uh, mobile defensive linemen. Yeah. Do you think this is one of the best freshman classes of the modern CU era? Is it too? Uh, it's too early to say this definitively, obviously, uh, but just from the hype that these guys have generated. You've got Owen McCown, who uh, we're, we're we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, but right. those of us that have seen him are kind of anointing him as the future of right. the quarterback position in Boulder. And you've got Jordan Tyson, who's been turning heads since he got on campus. Dylan Dixon has done well in the secondary. All those young cornerbacks uh, look to have a bright future. Owen Carey's going to have a big role on this team. Uh, There's obviously better class depth than we've seen in most classes in the modern CU era. Chase Sowell had a good first scrimmage. Keep going down the list. Uh, Van Wells is going to be a really good player. That's the name I was going to come up with because there's a guy that's already threatened for playing time on the offensive line, and that's pretty rare. Um, Travis Gray as well as second team already? Yeah, and I think – you know, so the, I mean, your question is best freshman class of the. I, I get what. Where do where do you cut cut off the modern CU era in this scenario? Well, rivals and scouts came around in like two thousand and two, so I kind of say in the last couple decades. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, I'd say certainly since certainly, and I, I you know, I can't remember really um, all the way back to two thousand or two thousand two, but. Um, certainly in the last 10 years, this has been the best early showing, I would say, so far of a freshman class. And I think, you know, <clears throat> until we see them actually do something on the field, doing doing things in practice against other buffs, I don't know that that necessarily uh, says one way or the other whether you can play or not. And I know some people on the board are, are taking that and saying, hey, look how good this class is. Well, you know, until they make a difference in a game, they haven't made any difference. You know, and uh, until that happens, it's hard to say. We've had guys flash early. You know, I mean, every single year we have guys that are the talk of camp and then they don't really do much, you know. Um, uh, when, when, I, I will say I don't think Jordan Tyson is going to be Keenan Canty. I'll throw that out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, who was the defensive lineman last year? Ryan Williams, you know, was, was yeah. the, mm-hmm. was the, the guy that got all the talk. And he didn't end up playing that much. That doesn't mean he's, it does, he's not the real thing. But uh, what you hear in camp, does not necessarily mean, you know, what's going to happen with them in the season. And then, you know, the value of any class, you don't really know until three or four years down the road anyway. You know, I mean, like a guy like Anthony Hankerson, uh, I think could be a really excellent player. We might not see him for a while, you know. Yeah. Owen Carey is, is, is uh, I would, Owen Carey may be the, so far, the best one out there yet. I don't know. He's sharp as a tech. He's smarter than me. I'm willing to admit that. Well, well, you and me, you know, we're as sharp as bowling balls, my friend, and we look like it too. (laughs) Yeah. So I wanted to ask you, what is one thing that you expect from the Buffs this fall that might surprise the casual CU fan? Not the fan that's on message boards debating, you know, the the long battle, but the guy that he'll he'll, he'll tune into the games and that's pretty much it. Yeah, like 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 this morning, there's a debate about who's going to be in the booth or not. And I was like, wow, man, you guys are overthinking this thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, I was kind of thinking about that question. One thing that the casuals like, you know, like the people that aren't paying attention too much. Um, and I think if you were just watching CU last year, I think we could be pretty good on offense. We might be actually kind of fun to watch on offense. Uh, we might actually run the ball pretty well. And I also think that uh, – we're going to be an offense that's not focused on anybody in particular. Maybe, you know, maybe the closest thing we have to a big star might be uh, Brady Russell, but I think the ball is going to get spread around a bit. It looks like. And so um, <clears throat> the average person probably thinks, Oh, see you no good on offense. They, I think they might get surprised this year. Yeah, th- that's a good point. I think as Darrell has said, it's, it's a nameless team and that's because they didn't have any preseason all conference guys, first or second mm-hmm. team. There is something to be said for having guys that are good but not great in most right. positions because they've had some really studs, stud guys come through like LaVisca Chenault, and then you try to make your whole team him, and then you wear him to a nub and he gets hurt, right? So Plus they um, put three guys on him and what, what your other guys can't make them pay for it. Yep, yep. Uh, 
I would say my answer here is that Darrell put together a good staff. I, I think even yeah. the casual fan probably heard about Mike Sanford taking over as the OC and, and the fact that he got fired in Minnesota and just kind of said, well, this thing is really going to shit here. Uh, but just the energy that those guys have brought, I, I think that's the area that I think the, the casual CU fan doesn't realize, you know, Phil McGagan's not a household name, but people that know football know that he's a really good receivers coach. Right. 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 Um, and uh, I think when coach meat left, everybody was kind of pushing the panic button and then you get an equal, possibly a better replacement in raw chance. So I would say better. Yeah. I would say that, better. Yeah. And, I well, don't know. With, with Mike Sanford, let's not mention the other coaching change. You know, this the 800 pound gorilla in the room. You know, where essentially one position didn't have a coach last year, and now they got Kyle. Now they got Kyle Devan. Yeah, I mean, it's out there now that Colorado players are going to the sideline and looking for advice from Matt McChesney in game as an offensive lineman. I mean, that, that's how bad it got. It's just unbelievable. Yeah. I mean. But it, it, we are beating a dead horse at this point. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I'm just following up on on you know your point of that we have a pretty good uh, coaching staff. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, gosh, it would have been hard for that that position to get worse coaching than last year. Uh, <laughs> but with Mike Sanford, he's he's got to prove it. We keep hearing that he was having to run PJ Flex offense at Minnesota, and that's where they butted heads. And he came in right at the height of the pandemic, and uh, we all know that there was a lot going on in Minneapolis when he got there. And a lot of those players were dealing with a lot of distractions a as a result of everything going on. So it wasn't a great situation he was in there. Uh, but he has had some other stops where you've heard criticism that, you know, maybe the quarterback didn't get better and, and the offense regressed. So definitely wait and see approach there. But is there a coach in America in a better position than Mike Sanford taking over after what we saw last year. I mean, the bar is set so low for that group. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, uh, him and Devan both. I mean, you know, it, it's hard to imagine uh, coming in and not, not almost anything you do is going to look positive and look good. Um, and I think it's going to be a significant imp improvement all the way around. So, yeah, I think that's a pretty good situation for him. And, you know, and you got a head coach that's an offensive career guy. Um, uh, so you're going to have support from that angle. and and got some players. And again, kind of going back to beating a dead horse, if they have a couple weeks in the season or a stretch in there where they're struggling offensively, I don't expect Mike Sanford to come out and throw his guys under the bus. Like we saw no. last fall. No. And so that. No, I, yeah, I think, I think, and, and we'll see. I, I, I'm very excited to see what this offense does against another team. Um, and, and it just seems to me what we're going to do position by position. We'll talk about it. So I'll hold off on some of that. Yeah. What's one thing we expect from the Buffs this fall that maybe the diehard fans will be surprised with the guys that are on the message board debating whether or not the uh, certain coaches should be up in the booth or on the field, the, the real diehards. I think there's more talent here than they think that that's, that's what I, I was thinking about. Um, there's more talent on this team than people think. And I think uh, even, you know, in terms of depth where a lot of these guys are not known, some of these guys I think are going to show up and, and uh, do a pretty good job. And I also think that some of those folks are going to see that coaching does make a difference this year when you have coaches that know what they're doing and can get some, get more out of their players and uh, develop their backups and, as well as the starters. Cause really in football, no, no, um, you know, it's rare that a team goes through a season without injuries and you're going to get those backups in there. So I think there's more talent here than you think. And I think coaching is going to make a, a bigger difference um, than people think it is. Um, you know, I think, I think work with the different defensive front, I think that they're going to work harder and find more ways to find a pass rush. There may not be anybody that's a specific 10 sack guy. Maybe there is, who knows, but um, I think there's some guys out there. I, I think we're going to be better on that front as well than people think. I think that they're going to be surprised that the CU recruiting has been going better than the perspective based on the recruiting rankings. In, in, mm -hmm. And I don't mean that to say that if you're a CU fan, you shouldn't want them to land higher rated kids and to beat out more power five programs. Uh, but the guys that they have found are guys that I think are exceeding what their star rating, you know, showed. 
And even, even Durrell has said, Hey, our recruiting can get better. He said that yesterday, but they have at least done a good job of bringing in the right type of guys, given the constraints with NIL and, and their lack of recent success. So that part, I think will surprise some people. And it, it might be more kind of flashes here and there, kind of like we had Nico Reed last year, late in the season, because like you said, they're pretty experienced in a lot of spots. So you don't necessarily want these freshmen that we were talking about a minute ago to be playing the whole game and, and right. maybe injuries pile up and that dictates that has to be the case in certain spots. But generally, I think the flashes from those freshmen are going to have people pretty excited about the future. Yeah, I think there have been years in the past, you know, in, in the last 10 years when, you know, quite frankly, I, I think some of these staffs took some guys that probably they didn't even believe could be players at this level and they just needed a warm body and, I don't know, somebody that would commit to, to that spot. And I don't see anybody like that in this class. I don't see anybody really like that in next year's class either. Um, you know, there's some, there could be arguments. I mean, some guys obviously don't have a lot of power five offers and what have you, but there's, there's in, in almost every case, there seems to be something you can look at and point to um, as a positive, whether it's the film or what have you. So, um, yeah, I think that might be something that surprises all the diehards on the field. On the, I, I think also as a corollary to that, um, I think if you had a good co- combination of good coaching and you do a good job of developing your players and you find players with talent, I think some of the people who, you know, think it's only about, you know, like the, it's the Jimmys and the Joes, not the X's and the O's, which is the dumbest statement in the history of football. Um, in my opinion, I think some of those people are going to be surprised to find out, you know, you don't have to have, uh, a roster full of four-star guys to win seven games. Now you have to keep those kids on campus long-term. Right. Yeah. And it, it, it helps that these are Carl Durrell guys that right. you know, he, he was there when they committed. Uh, yeah. The other thing is there, there's this talk of a, a lack of a collective, and that's an issue. What they need a collective for, in my opinion, is not recruiting the high school kids. It's to keep the kids that you've developed on campus. We've seen Washington state have a collective initiative that is titled pay to stay. And that's something if CU boosters, and I know there's not a ton of high level boosters that are willing to just donate six figure checks over to collective, but if they can kind of galvanize some kind of collective to where the next Christian Gonzalez doesn't feel like he's got to go somewhere else. I think that's the key. Cause otherwise what happens is you're a farm team and you're stuck in quicksand. You're going to be always a young team. Well, and I'm going to push back a little bit on that and on the prevailing sentiment on the board and say that, you know what, you have to keep recruiting kids even after they're on your team and you have to keep them there. And, you know, guys like, I don't think Christian Gonzalez left and go ahead. People can dispute me if you want. I don't think the guy left because of NIL. I think the guy left because the coach, he had a relationship left and he didn't have a relationship with the head coach. Now, you know, for, you know, in my experience with human beings in jobs, um, it, it, people lose their relationship with the job before they go looking for more money. Unless there's, you know, unless, unless you can't get by on what you're making. Right. Um, but I think that the first thing is that, that you have to recruit guys that, that want to be part of your program. And then you got to keep them feeling like they want to be part of your program and they got to get something out of it, whether, and, you know, for each guy that's different, maybe it's one guy has to, wants wins. Another guy wants playing time. Another guy just wants to be part of a family and a camaraderie, but you have to give them something to keep them there. And I'm not talking about NIL money either. And so, and I think too many people let the coaches and the coaching staff off the hook and say, Oh, just throw money at it. And that's not always the answer because I think usually people don't start leaving until they've decided they don't want to be there in the first place. And then, you know, they go look for the best deal. That's a good point. It used to be, you had to recruit them then they get on campus and then you unrecruit them, right? Now you get the, you recruit them, you get them on campus, you unrecruit them, and then you have to recruit them again. Right. And you keep that cycle going every year. Maybe you get back into camp and then you you start that unrecruiting process again. But yeah, that has to be uh, uh, that's a huge part of Carl Durrell's job going forward. And he took a lot of flack because he took off to recruit high school kids right after last season ended, and you know that's when a lot of kids hit the portal. Uh, so yeah, no, I, I think he's going to change his strategy as far as that goes going forward. Cause you kind of have to nowadays with, with college right. football. Yeah. I think you have to have that relationship ongoing, you know, and maybe you have a meet. I, I think probably you, you want to have a meeting with each guy 
um, maybe, you know, maybe immediately right after the season and talk to them face to face and see where they are. But you ought to be doing that during the season each week, you know, going up to guys and seeing how they're doing. And, you know, as the leader of a, of a, of an organization like this, you know, it's only, it's only a hundred guys. It's not that many guys to, you know, find out if there's somebody that's having issues or whatever. And, um, sometimes it, it's amazing what a difference you can make if you just uh, head off a couple of things that are, uh, getting in a guy's way of yeah. having success in a place, you know, and, uh, a uh, 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 conflict with somebody here or not happy with this thing there. And, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I've just found over the course of my life that, uh, uh, what most people want is just is to be recognized and, and to know that they're not just another schmo, you know, that, that the guy in charge cares about me. Carl Drill said that we would not be as good as we are today had those players not left, kind of referring to the the 21 players that hit the portal. Obviously, he's not targeting that at a Christian Gonzalez. You want him in your program. Uh, you know, th- there's guys in there, Jarek Broussard, that, that you wish were part of this program. So to really decide whether or not I agree with that, William, I figure we'd go position by position comparing where we are with this team right now, eight days from the opener with where that 2021 team was going into the season and see how many positions are better off now than they were a year ago. Does that sound good? Yeah, no, let's do that. Well, let's start a quarterback. I mean, this, this is clearly an obvious answer last year at this point, JT Schrott had already torn his ACL. So you had Brennan Lewis, the de facto winner of that competition and you had Drew Carter, uh, who was a freshman. And uh, now you've got a healthy JT Shrouds, Brennan Lewis with 12 games of experience under his belt. Drew Carter, who was last year's backup, might potentially be their fourth string quarterback this year. So I don't think there's really any need to debate this, right? I mean, they're obviously in a better spot now than they yeah. were last year. Clearly in a better spot. And I think, I think the, they're in a better spot as well with Sanford, maybe not necessarily as the offense, as a, as the quarterback coach, but with a system that's going to be much more friendly for a quarterback to run. Running back. This one might go to last year's team because of Jarek Broussard. And I know he didn't live up to expectations last year, but how much of that was on him and how much of it was on the offensive line. Uh, you had Alex Fontenot and Deion Smith, your top two backs this year on the team last year that were two and three. So, uh, I, I know Jaylee Stacks has leaned up a little bit. He's a little bit better. Uh, and you've got a couple freshmen in the program and Victor Venn and Anthony Hankerson. But, I mean, I, I would take last year's crew over this year's just because of Broussard, right? Or, or do well, you disagree? Essentially, it's essentially the same group minus Broussard. Um, so, the, you know, it, it does Victor Venn and Anthony Hankerson equal, you know, Broussard? And you have to say no until they prove it on the field. So, yeah, I think yeah. you got to go with the running backs. Um, but I think, again, uh, if you put these running backs in the contents, context of an offensive system, they're going to do a lot better in this system than in that fiasco last year. I mean, I don't know. You know, you can't ask a running back to be successful in that mess last year. But I think they're going to do a lot more with the, the kind of plays that uh, Mike Sanford's calling um, this year. So from that perspective, you know, it, it, I think we could be better off. Receiver could be an interesting debate here because you lose Brendan Rice, Dimitri Stanley, and, and I guess you throw Levante Chenault in there, although uh, he, he really barely played last year because of all his off-the-field issues. Uh, but you bring in R.J. Sneed. He's dealing with an injury. He started practice earlier this week. We don't know if he's going to be ready for the opener. If he's healthy, that mitigates Brendan Rice. Uh, you could maybe even say that's a better trade for this year specifically. Now, yeah. Brandon Rice had more years of eligibility, so there's a different. That would be a different debate. Well, but and, and I'm going to just jump in here with both feet and say, look, I don't care who's putting the uniforms on. The guy on the sideline makes a hundred percent difference this year because the guy last year wasn't doing his damn job and he wasn't coaching wide receivers for the last couple of years, in my opinion. And now we've got an actual wide receivers coach coaching the wide receivers, and I think we're going to get a lot more out of them with Phil McGagan. Um, did I get that right, McGagan? You did. Um, Good job. Yeah, uh, and I think I think they're going to be a hundred percent better uh, in all the technical. And this this one of the areas where the technical skills make such a difference, like coming back to the quarterback when he's in trouble and things like that that we didn't see last year. 
Um, and also, uh, some of those guys, you know, receiver often has to be, and I know they're viewed as the, as like the biggest ego position on the field, but they kind of have to be team guys. Cause if, if, you know, if you're, if the ball's not coming to you, you still need to get things done. And I think we're going to see that done better this year. I think we're going to see guys not just run to a spot and stop and then pout when the ball doesn't come to them. And I think that'll make a big difference. Yeah. But I think, yeah, just in terms of the players, I mean, I think Sneed's a, frankly, could be an improvement over Rice if, you know, when he gets healthy. Um, and then there's some depth there, you know, if, if what we're hearing about Daniel Arias is true and we kind of sort of hear that every year, but uh, if that's true, he could be a big time guy, you know, and then um, Chase Penry is, is who he is and he's a solid player. And um, so there's some real options there. And Penry and Robinson were true freshmen last year. So they're yeah. at least a little bit more experienced. You get Maurice Bell back. That's a guy that, all of us, even the guys that cover the program on a daily basis, sometimes we forget about him. And he's flashed this preseason. He's a pretty solid second-line type option there. Montana Lamonius Craig's played a little more football. Jordan Tyson. Jordan Tyson, yeah. Is, he's, he's, he looks like he's young for his grade. He's got to mature into his body, but he's made yeah. tough catches look easy this preseason. Jack Castera, who uh, – I'm not going to be surprised if he gets out there and makes a couple of plays this fall. It's debatable. And, and I want to say that the receiver positions in a better spot now, and that's not really devaluing Brendan Rice and Dimitri Stanley. It's just that I think they're a deeper group now this year. Yeah, for sure. And, and yeah, I, I would agree with that completely. And, you know, Hestera has done some really good things so far. Um, his uncle was one of my favorite buff players of all time. Uh, Davis there at tight end back in the early 80s. <laughs> at tight end, you have obviously got Brady Russell back. You lose Matt Lynch, who was, I don't know, he was serviceable. I, I don't yeah, think right. really worried about losing him. No. Alec Pell did a few nice things. He's a physical <laughs> player, but uh, he's at UNC now after an off-the-field issue. I would say it's probably a wash until Caleb Fourier and Eric Olson kind of show their potential I, I, I would say it's better just to the extent that brady russell's going to be better probably than he was last year and there's a th- th- this system again here i go again this system is going to be much more friendly to the tight end than anything we've seen in a long time um but uh you know i think brady russell as a senior is going to improve you know he he's one of the three three guys that got preseason all conference mentioned um, and then, you know, there's a lot of young talent after him. And so I expect somebody to step up and make something happen. Daniel Graham was out at a preseason practice. And after watching that, he had kind of declared that he thinks that Austin Smith has NFL potential. Oh. Carl Durrell said yesterday that he sees greatness in Austin Smith, but Austin doesn't quite see it in, in himself yet. And I think that's just a product of his head swimming. This is a guy that played receiver at a small school in Texas. Mm-hmm. And so Clay Patterson, his new position coach, said, I, I was I came in and was basically teaching him how to line up properly. So uh, I don't think in 2022 he's going to emerge, but he's a guy down the road that uh, right. you're going to hear quite a bit about, I think. And, you know, as the season goes on, one thing that's always struck me about college football is the guys that are the, 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 the starters in the first game, very often in college football, by the end of the season, there's a whole other set of guys who emerge you know, because they're young and they get better as the season goes on. Here's another easy one. The offensive line, no offense to the guys that left because Kari Kutch was a solid guard. I mean, he was yeah. actually playing decent last year on a unit that was much maligned and Colby Purcell. He had his limitations, but he was, he was a fine starting center. Yeah. yeah they were, those were both very solid inside power five guys, you know, not, not spectacular, but you know, you can win, you know, if you got five guys like that all playing well, you, you can have a pretty darn good offensive line. Um, you, know, you don't have to have a bunch of all Americans and NFL draft picks, but uh, uh, you know, so you bring in Tommy Brown, I guess we call him a, a even up trade for, for coach and, and um, uh, you know, we'll see what happens on game on game days, but I expect Phillip and, and Wiley to be significantly better now that they're actually getting coached. And uh, uh, Casey Roddick, I think, is going to be better than last year. And, and, you know, look at look at so you look at two guys, uh, Philip and, and 
Casey Ruddick basically didn't get to any off season. They didn't get any yeah. uh, workouts. They didn't get any practice. They didn't get anything. And it's frankly, it's a miracle that the two guys could play at all this year. They got the full off season, you know, they got the practices, they got the whole nine yards. And so they're going to be substantially better. Um, so uh, I, I think, and then of course, you know, the, the coaching question, which is, uh, you know, if they had nobody back whatsoever, they'd be better off with Kyle Devan in there coaching them. So I think that group could be, you know, and, and there's not saying much, but the most improved group on the team. Yeah. One area I will push back a little bit, not on you, but in terms of what the coaches have said this preseason, I don't think their depth is as good as the coaches no. are saying that it is. There's no. six guys that you'd feel comfortable starting right, right now. Right. And I don't know, Luke Eckhart and Alex Harkey are transfers in at guard. Maybe they've done really well. They just, they're new on campus. So right. we're not quite ready to anoint them, but well, Jared, Jared Lishenhan is, is your third tackle, which. Uh, well, let, let's face it. I mean, you know, uh, Tommy Brown and, and Casey Roddick are your backup tackles. In reality, I mean, they're not going to say that, but, you know, I mean, unless, unless you know, we're, okay, here, here's where not being able to get into practice really hurts us because to, to judge the backup offense, I mean, you really got to get in and be able to watch the drills and the practices and see who can move and who can do stuff. And we don't have access to that. So it's hard to say, you know, um, maybe some of these guys do, do look really good in practice and we are not able to see it. Um, but I'd be a little bit surprised. You know, I, I was hoping to see Jackson Anderson or, or, um, Amaya, you know, sort of step up and maybe they still will, but yeah, I don't, beyond those top six, I'm not comfortable putting any of those guys on the field, but then I'm not out there coaching them. So I don't know what they can do. So recapping the offense running backs, the only position group we would trade last year's for this year's. Yeah, I think so. All right. Defense, pretty much a similar defensive line. We mentioned Janaz Jordan's not in the mix anymore. I mean, the guys they lost to the portal, Jaden Simon and Lloyd Murray Jr., they they weren't Pac-12 yeah. guys. So right, they're going to play. You've got a scheme that should open up Terrence Lang and Jalen Sami to make more plays than they did last year. Na- Naeem Rodman is a guy that if you've had a top three list for the guy that teammates mentioned the most in terms of most improved, he would be in the, the top three of that. Yeah. And I think so, he's going to be a big surprise guy. We'll get to that later. But I, I also think that, 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 and this is going to sound weird given, you know, I think we're, I think we've got an upgrade coaching there with Chapman because I don't think Wilson's heart was really in it. I don't know. You know, well, I don't just, think it was his heart. It was his attention, right. That was split more. Well, I don't know. You know, everybody said people act like uh, being a coordinator is, is, doing brain surgery and heart surgery and building a nuclear reactor or something. It's, it, it shouldn't, it shouldn't detract that much from being able to coach a position. And so I don't know, but it didn't appear to me that that defensive line was getting coached nearly as much as it is now. I'm not as sold on the depth of the defensive line. Like we talked about earlier, you, you do bring in chance Maine, who's got one year of eligibility. He's hungry, but I, I, I'm not, I would still take this defensive line over last year's given right. that these guys are a year older and you didn't really lose anybody aside from a guy you actually had in your program a week ago uh, that, that is now booted off the team. But I, I wouldn't I wouldn't trade this group for last year's, would you? No, I, I'd keep this year, especially with uh, Chapman as the head as the as the position coach. Um, I think Naeem Rodman's going to be uh, I think he's going to explode on, you know, and become a guy who's known on a national level. And I, and I think that uh, uh, putting um, Terrence Lang out at the five technique uh, 100% of the time is going to it's going to really open things up for him because that's where he's built to play. This one's going to be tougher. Carson Wells was a really good football player, made a ton of plays at CU. Does the move of Alvin Williams to to the edge and his improvement and Devin Grant being in the system longer, Zion Magali being in the system longer and Guy Thomas being healthy, mitigate that loss of Carson Wells enough to say that this group is going to be as good or better than last year. I, I don't quite know. I would say probably a wash. Yeah. It's hard to say because I, you know, between 
you know, I'm still not 100% clear how they're how they're going to do this between edge players and outside linebackers and who's what, who's the defensive end and blah, 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 whatever, four-man four front and what have you. Um, I have a gut feeling that Guy Thomas is going to have a bigger season this year than um, Carson Wells had last year. Um, you know, and I, I guess I based that a lot on the Texas A&M game last year. If he plays like that at that level for 12 games this year, he's going to have a heck of a season. So, so I think he might replace um, Carson Wells pretty well. And then the rest of them are going to have to kind of be uh, uh, by committee until somebody steps forward to be the guy. The only thing that scares me about Guy Thomas is he plays like a wrecking ball. Right. And it's just hard for that guy to stay healthy, I think, playing the brand of football he does, which when he's healthy yeah. makes him really dominant. But it's hard to do that for 12 games. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, you know, I guess the kind of talent, I guess the kind of teams that we're playing against. But, um, yeah, you know, I think we've got some guys, some younger guys in Alvin Williams and Devin Grant, um, you know, who can give him some playing time, some playing time. Jamar Montgomery's an older guy that can get out there and take some snaps and what have you. So I, I think there's both some frontline talent and some depth here at this position, and I'm excited to see how it plays out. Inside linebacker, it's going to be hard to – as good as Josh Chandler Samito is coming in as a transfer from West Virginia, it's going to be hard from uh, an emotional standpoint to, to trade another – I mean, if we could have Nate Lambin back for another year, I mean, I, as long as that guy could stay in Boulder, you'd love to see him keep playing for the bus because – uh, he he was just a joy to watch. Yeah, but we lost him the last two years, you know, before the end of the season. And so it's not like we really had him at his best for a full, yeah. full season either way. I, you know, to me, this is a no-brainer better. Okay. Um, you know, I think if Nate had stayed healthy the whole time and, um, you know, and it'd be interesting to see what Nate does at the next level. He's not the most athletic of linebackers, but um, overall, I think that this group, uh, you know, the the, the top three, I don't think I don't think there's any argument that the top three is better than the top three from a year ago, don't you think? Yeah, I mean the depth is totally in a different realm yeah, this year you know, as compared to last year. Right, and, you know Ham is starting to come along, and and Owen Carey is 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 a big surprise, you know, and so uh, uh, I think the future of this position looks pretty good, but I think in terms of I think also uh, for um, uh, Robert Barnes, that's, you know, it was his first year moving up that close to the line of scrimmage this year. Everything's going to slow down a lot. And especially that they're focusing him at one position is going to help him really get better at the game. And I think it'll show a lot in his second season. You know, you started to see that towards the end of the season last year and this year he can start full speed. And then, you know, Josh Chandler, um, you know, guy's already been a, a power five conference, all conference level player and is showing that already. Um, and scrimmages here. So I'm expecting big things from him. And that allows, allows you to use Quinn Perry in situations that fit, fit his skill set better, you know. And then Owen carries a guy you could plug in there and feel good about in certain situations. Same with Marvin Ham, you know, Hurtado as well. Aubrey Smith has flashed a little bit. So I think inside linebackers looking pretty good. Are you buying that Quinn Perry is going to be better in pass coverage after trimming up a little bit? I think he, I don't think he was as bad as people make him out. I think people, you know, I think some guys on, you know, well, you know, uh, I think some guys get a bad rap um, and then they can't get away from it. Right. I don't think he was as bad as people think he was to begin with, but I think he'll be better this year with some more time under his belt and getting a little bit leaner and quicker. So, and I also think that, you know, they're going to use him in situations that are more fit his abilities this year. Cornerback, uh, we already know the answer to this. We would trade this year's group for last year's just because Christian Gonzalez has a chance to be a first-round NFL draft pick, and Makai Blackman was was pretty solid there. I think people are excited, though, to see a heavy dose of Nico Reed and Kalen Moore out there. Yeah, and I think there's, you know, the the the, the problem is if anybody gets hurt, you know, we're going to have to go with some true freshmen and some young guys, and maybe they turn out great. But it's a big question mark until they until they show that. Yeah, yeah. You know, Josh Wiggins was solid this spring. Jason Oliver's put on some weight. Keyshawn yeah. Mills is a pretty physical guy, but you want those guys to be able to develop a little bit. Yeah, you know, if those those are guys that a year from now we could be pretty excited about that position and keep them all around. Safety was thin last year. It's thin again this year. 
you lose yeah. Mark Perry to TCU. You're expecting Trevor Woods, if healthy, going into the opener to, to step up and be a starter there. Isaiah Lewis was already pretty solid. He's now uh, a grizzled veteran back there. Right. Again, kind of feel like we're beating a dead horse at this point, but that, that's a position they needed to get a guy from the portal to add some depth. And yeah. Galen I mean, Stryker seems to be fitting in well there, but I mean, he was running first team in their second preseason scrimmage. That's a little bit concerning, or yeah. maybe a little, even, maybe more than a little concerning. I think Dylan Dixon is going to be a big time player in time. I'm not sure, you know, safety is one of those positions that really benefits from experience and learning the game. Um, so there's some, there's certainly some uh, depth issues. And uh, I think if Isaiah Lewis is a, is a darn good safety and then um, Trevor Woods, if he's healthy, it could be a darn good safety. I think Anthony Lyle is better than people think. I think he's, he's one of those guys that some people are never going to forgive him the walk on label but he's better than people think he is. Um, but, you know, and then as everybody says, it's been nice to find a starter in safety at safety in the portal, but, you know, we don't know who's available at any given time during the year in the portal at that position. Can they get into CU? Are they interested in CU? Um, you know, so yeah, that, that, I think the, I think the secondary is probably by far the biggest area of concern on the team. Wouldn't you think? Yeah. No question. And whether or not you trade this year's group for last year's comes down to your feelings on Mark Perry. He was a pretty polarizing guy. To you. I know. A lot of people didn't think he was all that great, but uh, you know, I, I, I would say I kind of like, I kind of like, I kinda like uh, Rod Chance better as a cornerbacks coach than um, me a little bit. Um, I don't know. It's more of a, it, it's intangibles, I guess. There's nothing I can necessarily put a finger on, but I just like what he's yeah. doing with those guys. So you, as a whole secondary, we would trade this year's for last year's linebacker, a little bit more debatable D line, probably this year's group, even though you lose Jordan, the thing that you keep going back to, or at least I keep going back to is the defense just has to be as good as it was last year. Right. Right. They they won four games with the worst offense in college football. (laughs) Yeah. Which is crazy. You know, it's like, uh, literally such a liability on offense, but uh, I, I expect the defense to be better. And I think this scheme change is going to make a big difference and it's going to take a lot of pressure off the players and allow them to be in positions to make plays. I think that, you know, going to more of a four man front on a regular basis should help the pass rush as well. And that should help the secondary. So I think that the, the uh, overall, I do expect to see an improvement on defense from last year. So now we have to kind of balance out our thoughts after doing that exercise of going through the roster, all the optimism around the football team this preseason. And then you have to balance that out with the prognosticators and their pessimism. You know, the fact that the under for CU win total at three was the second most bet on future for college football, <laughs> according to a couple of tweets I saw out there. You had the Pac-12 media rank them last in the conference. So you're kind of balancing things out there. It, it, it kind of reminds me of that saying that there's two sides to every story and the truth lies somewhere in the middle. That's kind of how I feel about this. You've got this extreme optimism from the team and this extreme pessimism from the outside. Right. And not, not to straddle the fence here, but I really do think that, you know, what they do this season will kind of fall in the middle. My season prediction is probably going to be five and seven. I'm still kind of mulling that over, but that's kind of where I'm at, which some people would say that's crazy optimistic. And then, you know, Carl Durrell might say I'm being a hater. Yeah, right. And, I, and it's kind of funny that, you know, uh, pe- people are so that down that they think calling five, predicting five wins is crazy optimism, you know. And so I guess I'll be I'm, I'll be super sunshine pumper because I'm looking for six. I, you know what? I just look at this schedule. People talk about how tough the schedule is. There's no unbeatable teams out there, maybe except until you get to the end of the season, Oregon and Utah and USC, maybe, you know, uh, even Washington is not what Washington was in recent years. And I don't know, I, uh, people are uh, pretty nervous about TCU. I'm less nervous than some Air Force, I think, is a team we should always beat, uh, you know, and that, so- that game is tougher to me than TCU is. Air Force. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think, I think, I think Air Force is Air, Air Force is Air Force, and they and they win because they have a system and they're very disciplined and they play well in it. 
you know, but um, <clears throat> uh, we have the athletes to beat them if our players play well. So I look at, I look at that schedule and there's a lot of opportunities for wins there, you know, um, and I think we can get six wins. I think there are some of the teams on our schedule, like Arizona state have a lot of question marks and drop problems going on internally. Others of them are just not very good. Um, so I think that we can get the six wins and, and it wouldn't be a big shock to me if we did that. Would you agree that in order for CU to accomplish that goal, your prediction of six wins that they probably have to go into November five and three, because in November you've got yeah. Oregon at USC at Washington the next week. And then Utah October is the month they, they have to make. Hey, they, they probably have to go three and one in October to make your prediction happen that month. Yeah. You've got at Arizona at home against Cal at Oregon state, which should be pretty solid. That's going to be a tough game. And then at home against Arizona State, that's that's really when you got to create your well, momentum. You can't go into November thinking that you're going to win two or three games. No, I, I feel like you got to get those six wins out of that first eight games. Now, if you get your six wins out of that first eight games, that team's going to be feeling pretty good, and they might steal another win in the end. Um, but I think, yeah, that first eight games is where you got is where you got to make your money this year because you know it gets awful tough there. That's a that's a tough way to close out a season. Yeah. But that's kind of the trap that I think a lot of people fall into is you look at, at the schedule and you just make assumptions. We have no idea how good UCLA is going to be. That, that game at the end of September could right. be a game where if CU comes out the gate solid, better than people think, they might actually be favored in that football game. At, at and, Folsom right. Field. and Arizona, same way. You know, they might actually be a really – they might be a significantly improved team, hard to say, you know. But that team made Colorado look really good. Like yeah. a really good football team for one Saturday last right. fall. Right. That's what I'm saying. You know, in Oregon State, you know, I mean, these are these are teams of real question marks. Oregon State could be really good or they could be really bad. Yeah. Same with Cal. You know, that's what I'm saying. And Arizona you, State. In Washington, same thing. Yeah. They have a first year. Arizona State may be just a mess. Who knows? You know, I mean, that's what I'm looking at this schedule. I'm like, there are a lot of question marks here. The fact that CU is a 10 and a half, 11 point favorite for that opener against TCU, that that's a head scratcher to me. That uh, To me, that, that's where it's taking the pessimism to a, a level that is not reality, in my opinion. You mean, you mean underdog? Uh, yeah, what did I say there? Colorado's a favorite? No. They're, yeah, TCU yeah. is a, a 10 and a half, 11 point yeah, I favorite. Think that's, that's ridiculous. They're not going to come into Boulder and blow us out. I don't see that happening. All right, let's make some predictions here beyond the season record. Who do you have as Colorado's offensive MVP in 2022? Alex Fontenot. Uh, and my second pick is Brady Russell. Cause I think this, I think this offense is going to be very favorable for both of those guys. And, you know, I, I've never been shy about the, I'm a huge Fontenot fan. I think the guy's a great running back. Well, okay. Maybe not great. I don't want to get anybody get mad at me, but um, I think he's a very good running back. And I think this is going to be a system that benefits the running backs. And then I think it also is a system that's going to benefit the tight end. So Alex Fontenot, and then I would, my number two would be Brady Russell. I'm going Brady Russell, and I had Fontenot initially. I'm a little bit concerned with just the durability factor there. And Brady Russell's gotten hurt too, don't get me wrong, but mm -hmm. um, I, I'm going to go Russell there, but it's close. RJ Sneed's another candidate, but I think it's just yeah. a little bit more yeah. apprehensive to annoy him that just because he's coming in the season with a foot injury I or coming back from a foot injury. Yeah. Defensive MVP, who you got there? It's this is what this one was really tough for me. Yeah, I, I got three guys listed that it stuck out to me, and I almost put four on the list, but I'm gonna say Josh Chandler because he's already done it so at, at another power five program and he's looked really good in camp. I mean, he's made some stops in camp that are just they're they're Nate Lamont kind of stops, quite frankly. Um, so I'm pretty excited about him. And the other two guys I'm looking at uh, uh, are Guy Thomas and Terrence Lang, and this defense, they may actually be big sack guys. Um, and then, you know, I, you know, I, I, I have a hard time not mentioning Rodman and, and Sammy as well, because I I'm think gonna, they're going to have dominant seasons. I'm going to pick a different guy. I'm going to go Robert Barnes here. Oh, okay. Uh, I, I think we saw a glimpse of him being a playmaker at the end of last year. And now him being really comfortable in, in that linebacker role. I see him as a guy that makes a big difference in a couple wins for Colorado this year, but it, it's close. There's yeah. You could keep, you, you listed a lot off a lot of guys. There's a lot of, not, not a lot separating a lot of those guys in terms of our expectations going into the season. Well, I, I like the fact that Chandler and um, 
Robert Barnes are both inside linebackers who come from other power five programs, you know, and, 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 you know, for Chandler had big time, you know, a high level success. Uh, and, you know, um, Barnes comes from, you know, one of the top programs in the country. And so I think they both bring something to that defense that are going to add to it. And Isaiah Lewis could be a candidate here as well. Yep. We just found out yesterday that he played the last month of last season with a really bad shoulder injury that he went in for surgery. I'm assuming that's oh. a labrum. Uh, he didn't use that language, but yeah, uh, he, he's not flashy, but he's going to rack up a ton of tackles. And, and we've yeah. seen him get better with his ball skills in 2020. He couldn't catch a cold led the pac 12 in, in past defenses, but yeah. uh, couldn't catch any of them. And last year he was able to, to reel in a few of them. So uh, he's yeah. a guy that uh, I think is in the mix there. What about top linemen? E- either side of the ball, you can go here. Well, Casey Roddick's the guy. I mean, yeah. uh, and then I'm going to say Naeem Rodman on the defensive line. I think some people will be surprised by that, but I really are. I'm, I'm expecting big things from him based on what we're hearing out of camp so far. But Casey Roddick, I still think he's going to play his way into the draft. I'm going to go Casey Roddick as well. I had him number one on our top buffs countdown, so I got to stay consistent yeah. there. Yeah. What about uh, most improved buff? I'm going to go with Naeem Rodman again. I think the leap he's going to make this year is going to be huge. And then I'm going to go with a position. I'm going to say offensive tackle because I think both of those guys are going to redeem themselves this year, uh, Jake Wiley and Frank Phillip. My pick here is one of those guys you just mentioned, Jake Wiley. Uh, again, the bar being set kind of low, not to, mm-hmm. to be mean towards him, but you know, on multiple occasions last year, I had uh, a colleague on the 24-7 Sports Network that covered the other team that was in that game come up to me and, and ask why Jake Wiley was out there. And I don't think that's going to happen again this year. I think uh, by all accounts, he's had a really solid offseason. He did have a hiccup in camp where he had a concussion, missed a little bit of time, but he's back out there. And uh, it sounds like he's going to actually be a right tackle, so maybe a, a little less pressure on him this and, fall. Philip is going to be at left. Yep, that's what it's that's what it sounds like at this point. And I, and I I think Wiley got thrown to the wolves. You know, he wasn't ready to play. Nobody had, there there is no position in football I think that needs more technique and practice uh, preparation than left tackle. Maybe cornerback. I don't know, um, but left tackle and and they threw that kid out there with no coaching. And and, I, and I'm including all the way up from high school. And you know, he nobody has taught him how to play left tackle because I watched every single week. Um, and, and the kid didn't know the technique, he, you know, and, and it's, it's just not fair. And so people ride him like, oh, he's this and that he sucks. And well, if you sat down and, and you know, you, you looked at him in terms of numbers like they do at the combine and everything else, the kid's got everything that you want in the left tackle. He's got height. He's got length. He's got uh, flexibility. He's got mobility. He just needs to learn how to play the darn position. And I think he finally is learning how to do that. And it's going to show. I think I already know the answer to this based on your defensive MVP, but who is your top transfer pick? Yeah, Josh Chandler. I think pretty clearly, I think uh, what I've seen from him so far in camp is pretty impressive. And, you know, the other two big names haven't really played much yet. Yep, I'm going Josh Chandler Samito as well. What about top freshmen? Um, Van Wells is a guy to me. I'm super impressed with what he's done at center so far, and I think he's a tailor-made for that position. I think he's going to be a – uh, I'd go so far as to say not this year, obviously, but down the road, he's going to be like a first team, uh, all pack 12 kind of a guy. What about a guy that's actually going to be on the field? Do you have a, a top freshman there? Um, well, and you could, you could even go with, yeah. Caleb Fourier is a guy that I think I'm going to pick here, even though he's a third year freshman, but he, I think he's oh. going to be their backup tight end. Okay, so you're, I thought we were just sticking with the uh, actual incoming class. No, that's fine. You're you're fine. But you've got Jordan I, I, Tyson. I think Harry, I think Dylan, Dylan Dixon. Dylan Dixon was gonna, who I was going to go with, uh, or or maybe Jordan Tyson, based okay. on what we've heard so far. I mean, even a guy like Devin Grant or Eric Olson would technically <laughs> fit into this because they're freshmen. Although it seems weird to say that. What well, uh, uh, McGee? Everybody's a freshman. <laughs> I, I mean, Ashton Logan's still out there if you want to take the punter. Crazy, isn't it? It's like everybody's a freshman. You know, they're, they're 26, but they're a freshman. <laughs> yeah, some of these guys, uh, yeah, we're probably going to have a few seventh year seniors, right? If a guy yeah. gets a medical redshirt. 
yeah, you kind of, you kind of, you know, you kind of figure, I think if, if there's, if they're still around and haven't gone on to the next level at that level, they may not keep them around. I don't know. And then, then yeah. you know, you, you know, I think at some point, if you're not going to be an NFL player, the game gets a little old. It's like, um, um, Colby Purcell went to be a fireman, you know? Yeah. We just saw him the other day and he's like, I kind of thought about coming back, but you could tell his heart just wasn't hundred percent into it. And I think yeah. as a result of that, that he made the right decision. Yeah. And I think, People don't have any idea how hard it is to play power five college football and year round, how much goes into it. And it's a grind. It's hard. Yeah. And it, you know, I think the thing looking back over all these years, you know, the, the guys who become the great players are the guys who need it as part of their life, who love it and need it. Um, you know, and some, so I've seen some guys with some great talent and I, I was kind of said, well, you know, like, you know, that guy's too well adjusted, man. He's got a pretty girlfriend and doing well in school and going to have a, she doesn't need this, you know? Um, and, and some of the guys, you know, I'm not throwing shade at anybody, but like some guys need the sport and, uh, other guys don't. So we'll see. I think if some of these guys come back as six and seven year guys and they may not want them back if they're not, uh, you know, good enough. Who do you think is going to be CU's top assistant coach? This Phil, Phil McGagan. Yeah. Or Kyle Devan. Yeah, if, he, if he's the one that gets Arias to play consistent football, then uh, right. he's got to be in the discussion. Yeah, I think so far everything I've seen from him from Phil McGagan is 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 uh really um very impressive. I'm gonna go with not the coach that's gonna have the best performance from his group, but the coach that as he put it, is going to earn his paycheck this year. And that's Rod Chance. So I'm gr- going to be grading on the curve here. Yeah. But I think what you see out of his group in the season opener versus what you see of them in the season finale is right. going to be the group that shows the most improvement. And that's going to be partly just from getting those snaps. But I think he, based on the way he talks to the media, like he is a very intelligent, technical type of cornerbacks coach. Yeah. Right. And I think that's going to make a big difference for these young guys because, you know, that, like I said a minute ago, you know, probably the, the two most technique uh, intensive positions are cornerback and, and offensive tackle on a football team. So having a coach like that's going to help these young guys quite a bit. You know, somebody else whose name I'll throw out there who I think is going to have a big impact on this season um, and not be mentioned very much is Foreman. Because you know they've been a few years in his program, and I Shannon Turley, Shannon Turley, Turley, Turley. Oh my God! Wow, Woo. that was a flashback. I don't know where that came from. Yeah, Shannon Turley. Holy cow! Uh, boy, <laughs> that's like ten years ago, isn't it? <laughs> Holy cow! Uh, but Shannon Turley, uh, you know, they've been in that program for a couple of years, and, and and I think it's starting to show uh, in terms of both uh, size and strength and and injuries and whatever. I think I think that's going to have a big impact finally this year too. Yeah, if you're a CU fan, you want to be nervous about which coaches you can keep on staff at the end of the season, right? That's right. that's the good problem that you want is that maybe right. you have to replace some coaches, not because you had to fire them like Cheverini or Rodriguez, but because they got poached by another program. Well, you know, that's one of the great things about Bill McCartney. I think, you know, everybody knows, you know, he was a great motivator and a great recruiter and, and all the other things that people know about Coach Mack. But he hired great coaches and they went on to be head coaches and they went on to be coordinators at other places. And then he would replace them with somebody just as good. And you look at his coaching tree and, and um, you know, there are head coaches. I really have believed in my career. There are head coaches that don't want guys on their staff as good as they are because they feel challenged, you know, great head coaches want guys smarter than they are because your assistant coaches will make you look really good. And um, I think we've got some guys on this staff that fit that. I'm, I'm, you know, I have to admit, I'm pretty impressed with uh, the staff we've got this year that Durrell's put together. And so I'm excited to see what they'll do. I know your day job is pretty demanding. I, I think we're still hoping to get some film room features out of you this season, right? You think that's still yeah, a possibility? I just, feel, I just need a little help with uh, get, getting the clips. I mean, I, I, you know, half the job to me was getting the clips and then, the the online service I used told me I can't uh, cut up uh, the the videos I was using on there anymore. You know, okay. I, I got I got a warning, and then I, you're you're gonna get suspended if you keep. But so uh, if 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 you or anybody else could send me the clips, I'm happy to do the analysis. Okay. 
you know, watch, watch them. And, and I think that may be better, you know, to have you or somebody else pick the plays that you guys want to want to have broken down, you know, otherwise you're just me and I'm, you know, Hey, hey let's pick some good lineman clips, you know, but if you want to, you know, break down different plays on offense and defense, that's what I'd be excited about doing is, ha- is have you or somebody else send them to me. And then I will uh, spend the time to do the analysis and the write up. Okay. Yeah. I'll try to make that happen. So I think that's going to wrap up this show. I don't think we handed out a tumbler full of Kool-Aid, maybe just a shot glass of Kool-Aid, which is kind of how I feel about this team. Again, balancing out all this team optimism with the pessimism on the outside. I really do think it's it's very much in the middle there. So that's kind of what I wanted to do because that's how I feel is to a, a small dose of Kool-Aid, not Right. Have, having CU fans right. out there guzzling it because there there are still some issues in this program, but there's also a lot to be uh, excited about. Well, and I think, you know, you know, I think we're realistic. You know, I'm throwing out six wins and you're throwing out five wins. Both of us not, you know, not guaranteeing that by any means. But I don't think that's crazy looking at the what we have as a team and what our schedule looks like. I don't think either one of those things is crazy pie in the sky. Um, and I got to tell you, you know, I mean, everybody knows where I was at the end of last season and, and going into the winter. And, and um, I got to say that I really feel like uh, Darrell has redeemed himself with me to a great extent. That being said, nothing matters if you don't get it done on the field. Yep. So we'll see. Well, I'll have a couple more analysis videos with Brian. We're going to take a closer look at TCU and then obviously have some other features in the coming days before CU kicks off its 2022 season opener. Like we said at the top, it's been, a long off season, a lot of drama between the transfer portal and conference realignment. So uh, definitely excited to have some games to report on. And I'm sure you're all just as excited. Please take a second to rate and review this podcast. It does help us get it out in front of more CU fans. So thanks for tuning in.